0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Uh, We're talking about the four cups and um, these four cups. And guys, how's it going? Uh, These four cups are the four cups of the Jewish Passover. Um, The Jewish Passover is, of course, the meal that Jesus celebrated on the night he was betrayed. And um, during that meal, they have four cups of wine present at the meal, and they, they read a scripture for each cup before they drink from that. And so we have been exploring those cups and exploring uh, how they might apply to our lives because they represent four promises of God that were given in the Old Testament. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So those promises are also applicable to us. Um, So I'd like to read those from Exodus chapter six, um, verses six and seven. God's people have been enslaved. They've been victimized uh, by slavery in Egypt for about 400 years and God finally comes to them, comes to Moses, and says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke, or the bondage, or the burden, really, the word means burden, the weight, the burden of the Egyptians. And that's the first cup. That's the first I will. That's the first promise. I will bring you out. And uh, we believe that that's applicable to us today um, by means of salvation, that God wants to bring us out from whatever bondage we are in. He wants to bring us out from under whatever weight of sin that we've been carrying. I don't know if you were with us uh, last week, uh, on Easter Sunday, we preached on this promise right here, that there's some mud uh, that we have been in, there's some burdens that we've been carrying. Um, If you weren't able to be here, um, please go online, check it out, uh, check out the podcast. It's a powerful message about the weight and the burden, really, of Egypt. And so we really looked at what kind of burden physically these people were under, and it's just amazing the kind of uh, weight that they learned To live with and god said I don't want that for you anymore. I want freedom for you I want to bring you out from under the burden of the egyptians and last sunday on easter sunday Uh right about 20 people in this room and in the kids ministry and filling out cards and stuff right about 20 people made decisions to come out From egypt to come out from under the bondage of egypt out from under the weight of egypt Yeah, i'm excited about that because that's what we're here to do as a church we are here to we are, we are not here to make bad people better We are here to see dead people come alive. We are here to see people under bondage be released from that and be set free by the power of the name of Jesus. The Bible simply says, call. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to clean up or fix yourself up or or learn all the right words or figure out the right theology. All you have to do is call on Jesus and salvation is applicable to you. So you might be here today and you're under a burden, you're under a weight. You need to know that you can be free Free today. God can bring you out from under the burden of your past, under the burden of sin. And uh, man, it's exciting for me uh, to see people making those decisions, to see people calling out to Jesus and to step into freedom. Last week, uh, did, did anybody see Romeo's video? You saw Romeo's video online. that That's God bringing people out. That's God calling out to people, bringing them out. And uh, it's exciting, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of that. Uh, I, I would hate church if it wasn't for people coming out. <laughs> If God, this is a bring this is a bring out church because otherwise it's straight boring. You know, a bunch of Christians talking to a bunch of Christians about how to be better Christians. I mean, come on, man, we got we got to get some sinners who are stuck and get them out and bring them out. This is what we're here for. If we're not doing that, we're wasting our time. Uh, I'm here to bring people out. My first sermon I preached at City Chapel was from the scripture that says the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me because He has called me to. To preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim liberty to those who are in bondage or captivity, God wants to bring people out, and so uh, we we are a bring-out church, sure, bringing people out church. That's what we do. But the second promise is also important. He says, "I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them. I'll free you from being slaves." And, and basically the first promise saves us, right, from what we are doing, from bondage, from the burden that we are carrying. But the second promise doesn't so much deal uh, with the problem of our burden as much as the problem of our being. I will free you from being slaves. In other words, God got his people out of Egypt, but then God had to get Egypt out of his people. And many of you might, some of you might have made the decision last week to come out of Egypt, and that's wonderful. God's brought you out of Egypt. I believe that happens the moment you put your faith in Jesus, but the next cup is also available to you, and this is the cup that the Jews call the cup of deliverance, because this is not just God dealing with your burden, this is God dealing with your being. I will free you from who you are. I will change you from the inside. You will not be the same person that you were before. It's not just about changing your lifestyle or removing burdens from you, it's about transforming you from the inside and me from the inside. In other words, people who knew you way back when, they look at you and say, you are not the same person that you used to be. There's is difference. It's not, it's not just you don't dress the same or you don't talk the same. It's, it's, it has to do with the very core of our beings. God wants to transform us. I will free you from being a slave. In other words, like you can get the, the shackles taken off of, off of your hands. And there was that old song, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. I, w- I, w- I, won't, I won't sing it for you, but anyway, uh, you know, I mean, you, you can get those shackles taken off but the problem sometimes is not so much the shackles that are around our hands. It's, the, it's the, the shackles that are around our heart. It's the fact that at the core of our being, we think like slaves. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can get your shackles off and, and suddenly you don't have to act like a slave, but you can still think like a slave. You can still reason like a slave. You can still interact with people and make life choices based on a mindset of slavery. And this is what God wants to deliver each and every one of us here from. And I believe, honestly, probably about 60% of folks in this room need to drink from the cup of deliverance. This is one of the biggest cups in our day and time a lot of people are drinking from the cup of salvation but 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 man i want for you like 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 this is my vision i want for you like a romeo story you know what i mean like 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 last week we showed romeo's story and it was exciting it was powerful but what was really good about it is i still know romeo and and, and and it wasn't just this story that we captured in the video and then we'll show that for the next ten years about how look, God, God saved Romeo that one time. No, like Romeo's still reaching out to people, Romeo's still telling people about Jesus. Romeo's still on fire for God. He's still hungry for more of God. In other words, Romeo got free and he stayed free. <laughs> and that doesn't always happen. Just to be honest, as a pastor, a lot of times I see people get free and then they get enslaved again to the same thing. And then it's a cycle. And then they get free again for a little bit and then they fall back into slavery. And then they're free again and they fall back into slavery. But God, God has this vision, this idea that you were made to be free and to be free indeed is what scripture says. Whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. What that means is really, that means they're really free. Like for real though, you know, like, like, like without the GH, just the though, like just though, like it's a long O, that's just how it rolls off the tongue. Like for real though, free, like free that actually is real that people look at you and they say, wow, you are different. Not just you act different or talk different, but you are different. A cup of deliverance is available to us. And so uh, honestly, the cup of deliverance is difficult to drink from because it's a process. It's not always just a, a moment. It's not punctiliar. It's not just in one moment. Now, I do believe it happens in a moment, but there's a process that gets you to that place. And many of us abandon the process. And it was jump ship in the middle of the process. And so what I want to talk to you about today is beginning that process, beginning that journey by, by, uh, by, by looking at the story of the Israelites and how they began um, their journey. So if we look at Exodus chapter 13, the Israelites have been delivered out of Egypt. And this is what it says that when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. In other words, there was a way for them to get to the promised land that was shorter, that was quicker, and God didn't lead them the short way. God didn't take them the quick way. Some of you just need to stop beating yourself up for how long it's taking you. Because God may be intentionally leading you the long way. Because he knows what you can handle and what you can't. And he knows that if we, fast growth is not always good growth. Some tumors grow fast, okay? Babies grow slow. Tumors grow fast. Babies grow slow. Because the slow, sometimes the slow way is the powerful way. Some way, sometimes the slow way is the steady way. It's the, it's the way that you can handle. It's the way that, that you will come out the other side changed instead of running, running away. And so God knows your process. He knows the process. Just trust Him and just go on with Him. They're not ready for war unless when they see war, they return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. That's the end point. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, I like this, equipped for battle. Yeah, yeah, they, they were equipped, but they weren't ready. They had the sword and the shields, but they didn't have the heart. You, you might have the tools, but you might not have the expertise. And so you say, no, 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 I'm, I'm ready for warfare. I'm ready to go for it. Yeah, you got the sword, but you don't have the heart. It's the heart that's going to make you stay in the battle when it looks like you're losing and God knows the heart. He knows you're not, you're not ready for that. And so even though you're equipped, he says, no, we're gonna go the long way. And this is how the Lord led them. He went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Go on to chapter 14, verse five. Now, what happened was God led his people in this way through a cloud in the daytime and fire at night. He led them to the Red Sea, and then they camped out at the Red Sea. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? You have to understand the mindset of your enemy. See, he thought this was like a lease, like a lease arrangement. This was a rent to own deal. He thought they were coming back. He said, "Sure, I'll let you go for a while, but but when but when when he saw when he heard that the people had fled, like when he heard that they were really going for it. When he heard that they were really going to change, they were really going to get free. This is when he gets nervous. The mindset of your enemy is, "We'll let them go, but just not too far." By the way, um, where they're traveling is in the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, it's believed that, that the, the Egyptians owned, at that time, the Sinai Peninsula. They didn't live there, but they owned it as an outpost, a military outpost, sort of like we own Alaska. It's a, it's a good spot for us to check out Russia and see what's happening over there. Uh, it's also got some good natural uh, uh, resources that we can mine. Same thing with the Sinai Peninsula. Because you see, the king of Egypt was told that the people... Had fled. Well, who told them? They, he's got spies out in the wilderness. And his spies, he has military outposts out there, and they're, they're sending signals back to the king. And, 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 and this, is the, this is the truth. The enemy of your soul, he doesn't just own the darkness or the, the blackness of Egypt, he owns the grayness of the desert. And, God, and, and and the enemy is sometimes content to let you wander in gray. Like, like you escape the blackness, you escaped the darkness of Egypt, but as long as you're sticking around in grayness, like all 50 shades of them, as long as you're sticking around in the grayness, like he's okay with that. He's okay. The enemy is not just the enemy of rebellion. He's also the enemy of compromise. And, and, and if he can't keep you in Egypt, he'll try to make sure you stick around in the desert. And when he heard that they were getting out of the desert, because they went to the Red Sea, when he heard that they were actually wanting to really, truly get free, and free indeed, this is when he gets nervous, and he saddles up his horses, he says he made his chariot ready, and he took his army uh, with him. Uh, not only that, he took 600 chosen chariots and all of the other chariots of Egypt, everybody. Uh, with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, I like this, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Uh, it's real easy to be confident when you're not very cognizant of what's happening. Uh, they don't even know that Pharaoh is is armoring up. They don't even know that he's coming for them. And they're they're walking out confidently defiantly right I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he I mean you know they're they're excited they're fired up they're ready for battle it's real easy to be confident when you're unaware of the danger that's coming for you and this is how they're walking out And so they arrive at the Red Sea, they camp out, they go to bed, thinking, man, God's going to do something amazing, that's great. And they wake up the next morning, and they see, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, (laughs) and they wet their pants. And the the people, (laughs) that's in the original Hebrew, Uh, and the (laughs) people, And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now, obviously, they know there's graves. And it is. this is a rhetorical question. They're saying, why? Why did you bring us here to leave us here? Why did you bring us here to abandon us here? Go on to verse 19. We see, we, we, we see what God does. These people are complaining they're scared to death. And the angel of God who was going before them, that's the cloud and, and the fire, before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them, from before them, and stood behind them. So the fire that was in front of them went behind them. And the cloud that was in front of them went behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of of Israel. I wonder if sometimes when God seems to disappear from our line of view, I wonder if maybe he's really just gone around behind us. I wonder sometimes when God doesn't have our front, it's because he's busy guarding our back. I wonder I wonder the amount of things he stood between you and whatever that might be. I like God this is why you can't give up on God because even when you can't see him, he's working behind the scenes, doing things for your good and for his glory that you can't even figure out. So they're they're standing there and God just moves out of the way and they're like, Oh great, God left us. But he didn't leave them. He's guarding them from behind. He's going against their enemy. I'm thankful. This is one of the things I love about God. That God's a 360 degree God. He's not just what's in front of me. He's beside me, below me, above me, behind me, all around me. He is a shield about me. I love it. God, God just, he's sneaky like that. He just, you not can't, you can't always keep tabs on him. You can't always, he doesn't do everything in front of you. He's like parents of toddlers, man. I'm sneaking I'm sneaking snacks in the pantry. What are you doing, Dad? Nothing, I'm nothing. I'm just eating something. Sneaky like that. He's doing stuff. He's working behind the scenes. He goes around behind them, stands between them and their enemy. And there was the cloud and the darkness. Go on to next verse. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night was not Charlton Heston, okay? It didn't happen in 30 seconds. This happens all night. I mean, wind is happening all night. And he made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the middle uh, of the sea on dry ground and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians also pursued in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, right, when the sun came up, the Lord, who was in the pillar of fire and cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Uh, Skipping on down to verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So my question for you today is what do you see? What do you see? Salvation, uh, Moses, Moses told the people, he said, be still, calm down. Uh, Do not fear, stand firm, for you shall see the salvation of your Lord, but you shall be silent. You shall see the salvation. And at the end of this story, they look back on the water and they see the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So I have a few points for you today, some things that I think it's important for us to see, some things that it was important for the people of Israel to see. Number one, you need to see some separation. So that everything is alliterated today. I don't always do that, but I'm working with S's today. Uh S's. separation. You got to see some separation. This is something that, um, that, that happens right off the bat in chapter 13. If we go back to those verses in chapter 13, the last couple of verses of the chapter, it says that God was leading them. He was out in front of them. And that is, by the way, how you get out of Egypt. You let God get in front. So you let God get in front. You let him lead, put him in the driver's seat. Um, right, not Jesus take the wheel, but Jesus take the driver's seat. You know what I'm saying? And so you let him get out in front. You follow him. He's in front of them as a cloud and a fire. And and I've, maybe it's just the fact that I grew up in church, but I, I've heard so many so many different sermons about this. Right? I heard one guy say that well he was a fire by night because it gets cold in the wilderness, and so the warm the fire would warm them at night. And he was a cloud by day because it gets hot in the wilderness and during the day, and the cloud would be a shade for them. Uh, I've heard preachers talk about how God is like a consuming fire, and he's burning up our sin, and, and he's a cloud, and he's covering our sin. And I mean, sometimes I think, preachers, we get so like caught up in the minutiae and the nuances of a thing that we miss just what the, the English says right here. Why was God with them in the form of a cloud and a fire? Well, it's very simple, to give them light in order that they might travel by day and by night. So the question is, when did they sleep? It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of like I tell, it's kind of like I tell my wife, honey, I'll be able to sleep when I'm dead. I'll get plenty of rest when I'm, they didn't sleep. God's driving these guys. He says, look, I want to provide a cloud so you can travel by day. And then at night, I'm going to turn the lights on. So you keep walking. Now this is not sustainable. I wouldn't suggest this throughout your life. You need to get some sleep because that's healthy. But there are seasons where you have to create some separation. When you first come out of Egypt, one thing I've noticed about people like, like Romeo, people who get out and stay out, when they first get out, they create separation between them and Egypt. You gotta create some distance. You know what I'm saying? Like you gotta cover some ground, some distance between who you are now and who you used to be, between your new life and your old life, between but, but between your new relationships and your old boyfriend. <laughs> uh, never mind. Uh, you need it, but you do need to create some distance. You might have to block some people on Facebook. You might have to move. Like like you while while you have momentum, you gotta create movement. This is true. This is true in all areas of life. If you are the Philadelphia Eagles, when you have momentum, that's when you blitz Brady. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, that's when you take the three-point shot when you got momentum on your side. That's when you go for it. When, when you're moving, that's when you got to keep moving. So some of you, you decided last week to get out of Egypt. Please, please do not pitch your tent outside the gate of Egypt. It's not, this is not, you got out, it's not time to chill out. It's time to move out. I mean, you need to put the pedal to the metal while you got momentum, because you're not always going to have momentum. This is something Roe and I counsel um, people, like we we do pre-marriage counseling. Pre-marriage counseling, that's pre-marriage marriage marriage counseling. It's like, it's like driver's ed before you get in the car. So it's kind of helpful, you know. But the most important thing that we always, the thing that we feel is most important when you are pre-married, is for you to deal with your stuff now. Yes. Like deal with your mess now. Don't, this is not the time. If some of you are dating, some of you are thinking about marriage, look, this is the time to just be you, like really you. Like show up on a date, ladies, don't put any makeup on, don't do your hair. Cause you need to like, you need to be real. You know what I mean? Like they. Guys, you might have to rip one or two in the car just to let her know this is the way it's going to be. This is just life. Like, you can't hold it in for the rest of your life. That's not healthy. Like, you got to just be You got to, like, if you have, if something bothers you a little bit right now, oh, my goodness, deal with it. Like, please, for the love of all that's human, just, just have that confrontation. Because right now you got fuzzy feelings. You look at them and they, they're perfect and beautiful. You can't wait for your wedding day. You're motivated. Deal with it while you're motivated. Because 10 years down the road, you're gonna be like, oh man, do I really feel like having this discussion one more time? We've talked about this a million times. And honestly, half the battle, when you're 10 years in, is like, do I even want to have the talk? But now, but look, when you're dating, you're, you're, you're engaged. You got, you know, you're holding hands accidentally, all that stuff. You don't have to think about it. I'll bet she would like for me to hold her hand right now. Like all that stuff, like that's great. Use it. Use the momentum to get some movement, get some distance. Work through some mess. You can make out later. Work on some mess. You know what I'm saying? Like deal with it. Get it. Don't sweep it under the rug. But this is what this is what the children of Israel, the people of Israel, man, they are booking it. They are putting the pedal to the metal there. I would suggest to you that you you attend every small group you can, maybe multiple ones, every prayer meeting you can, every church service you can. Listen to Christian music as often as you can in the radio. I mean, do put the pedal to the metal. Do whatever you can to create separation from your old life. Because it's 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 huge. It's not how you start. I know that counts. It's how you finish. But trust me, how you start will often determine how you finish. And people get out of Egypt and then they chill out and then Egypt comes back after them. And we see, we, as, as a pastor, I see a pattern frequently that people get out and next month they're in the same Egypt that they thought they got out of. But they never put any distance between themselves in Egypt. They thought they were safe in the wilderness. They figured as long as they were in the gray, things were gonna be okay. But, but man, you gotta, God's, God's pushing them, not because, not because he's angry at them, not because he doesn't like them, but because he knows what's coming. He knows that Pharaoh is going to come after them. And he wants them to be right next to the Red Sea. Which brings me to my second point. You have to see the sea you have to see some separation but you also have to see the sea. And this is something that I've I've noticed in my own life and then as I counsel people this is this is a, a very true pattern that happens is that is that we we get saved, we 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 put our faith in Jesus, we come out of Egypt. And so often things are going well. Like we're we're moving forward, we 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 we're, we're, we're putting the pedal to the metal. And then and then we get but then we run into like an old barrier. Something happens. The Red Sea, by the way, didn't just appear. <laughs> It'd been there for a while. It was the, the great divider between the, 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 uh, the, the, the Sinai Peninsula and the potential promise lane. It was, it was It was just a massive boundary line. It was an old boundary line. And they came up against that old boundary line. And it's funny because they've never crossed this before no one god had never parted the sea before no one even thought about that possibility so they come up to the sea and they figure that, uh, that god's going to do something I, i'm sure they don't think he's going to part it maybe they're going to have to build some boats maybe maybe they're going to go fishing i don't know but god god leads them to the sea and then they they camp out there and and it's and then and then pharaoh on the other side hears that they're vulnerable and that's when pharaoh decides to come back this is always when egypt comes back, when you're feeling vulnerable. He waits until Scripture says they were hemmed in by the wilderness. In other words, there were mountains on either side, and there was a sea in front of them. They were stuck. There was only one way in, and there's only one way out. And when Pharaoh heard that they were hemmed in, when Pharaoh heard that they were stuck, that's when Pharaoh said, okay, this is our opportunity. They're vulnerable. This is our chance to get them. They have no other way out, which by the way, is usually the reason why we turn to Pharaoh to begin with, because we couldn't see any other options, All right? The, the Red Sea to me is, is, is similar to just that crushing thing that causes us to turn to maybe addiction, that causes us to turn to anger, that causes us to turn to that thing that eventually enslaves us, It's that thing that we come up against and we cannot figure out any way around or over or under or through. And so we turn around. When they reached the Red Sea, that's when they stopped and looked behind them because there was no other way. So they thought. And that's how Satan operates in our lives. That when you're going hard for God, trust me, you're gonna come up against some barrier in your life. If if you struggle with alcoholism, you might lose your job. You might encounter some massive stress. And the way that you always dealt with the stress will be right there behind you, ready to welcome you back with open arms. And that's true of you know the big stuff like drugs and alcohol. It's true, pornography. It's true for any sexual addiction. It's true for there, there. There are less addictions. We preached about this a few weeks ago about there are food people addicted to food, eating eating to feel better, right? And, and you're not hungry. You're just eating to feel to fill a void inside of you. And man, that 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 Taco Bell will be right there waiting for you on your worst day. And, and yeah, and it's cheap. And it's not even real meat, but it tastes kind of like it. It's got enough seasoning on it, you know, it's all right. I mean, but, but this, 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 is, this is our struggle. This is our Egypt coming back for us. In our, on our worst day, Pharaoh shows up and says, okay, there's only one way out and it's with me. And this is what the enemy does. He, he, he sees that we are vulnerable. He sees that we are trapped and he comes in to take us back into captivity. And so often, man, I've seen this this just this cycle where where, where people turn around and they see the cycle and they dread it because they know that there's that this is them this is who they are they are still in their heart slaves they are still in their heart addicted they are still in their heart not really free they looked free for a minute they acted free for a minute, but when, when, whenever their old masters came trotting up that hill, they dropped their weapons, they weren't ready to fight because you never fight your master. And, 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 and they know that they're, that they're stuck, that they're going back into that. I was talking to one guy, uh, we were doing homeless ministry and um, I was talking to him, he's struggling with, uh, with an addiction to drugs. And he had been clean for like three months, and and uh, uh, he was he was doing well, but he said that you know he was about to get a job, which means he's about to get some income, which means he's about to be tempted to buy what he couldn't, because sometimes sometimes you, you you don't do drugs because you just can't afford it. And it's, it's a spot of desperation, and you just can't do it. And so, and so he was saying, he said, I'm afraid that once I get some resources again, that I'm going to fall back into it. And he asked me a question that's always stuck with me. He said, he said, what do normal people do with those feelings? What do normal people do with that anxiety? He, he looked at me. I guess he thought I was normal. <laughs> I said, dude, we do exactly what you do. You are incredibly normal. Some of us do the exact same thing that you do, but all of us do something. And none of it's that much better than anything else. We turn around and we face the cycle and we go back to where we came from. We get stopped. And this, is, this is the, you listen, you listen to the people's complaint when, 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 they, when they find out, when they figure out their scenario They say, wait a minute, did you bring us out here? Why would you send us to a place where we would be stopped? Almost as if they were thinking, man, if it wasn't for this big stupid body of water, this big sea, if God hadn't led us to the, we were doing fine traveling night and day, night and day. We were doing fine driving through, through. I mean, we, we, we were doing fine. And then he brings us to this place where we have to stop. What about the whole, you know, pedal to the metal stuff, momentum stuff? You know, what about all that? I thought, I mean, I, I was, I was with you on that, but, but why did you bring us to a, why did you send us to a place where we had to stop? And and now look, our enemy is right on our tail, and and, and God doesn't even answer the question directly, but He tells Moses what He's going to do. He says, He says, I'm going to lead the people through the water, and then I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh so that Pharaoh will go into the water. And then we're going to close the water and drown Pharaoh. In other words, God leads us to this, these situations, these, these great moments of anxiety, these moments of betrayal, these moments of loss, these moments of, that, that typically push us back to Egypt. God actually designs our lives to come into these moments, not so that we will go back to Egypt, but so that Egypt will come with us. And it, because your enemies can't swim. They have massive carts They get stuck in the mud. God, it's a, it's a setup. It's a trap for your enemy because God doesn't want you running all your life. Because you can't run night and day, night and day, night and day. It's not sustainable. It's good for a time. It's good for a season. It's good for a month to really go for it. But at some point, we got to kill this thing. That is following you. God doesn't want you 10 years from now saying, hello, my name is such and such, and I'm an alcoholic. And he doesn't want you always looking over your shoulder, wondering when that thing's going to come back and, and latch onto you and drag you back into Egypt. He wants you to see some dead bodies in the water. That sounds like a non-life-giving sermon. But God wants you to see your enemy floating dead, lifeless, powerless over you. He wants you to not just always be running and trying to do better. And because here's the problem, many times our God is just way too small. That's, that's really the bottom line. We have a God who, who is who's big enough maybe to forgive us of stuff, but not really big enough, big enough to deliver us from stuff. We have a God who's big enough to help us run from our problems, but not really a God who's big enough to kill at the root and at the heart, the very thing that has been in our generation, in our families for decades decades and centuries. We don't, we we believe in a God who fits in this nice little box, right? And, and he can fit, he can, he can squeeze into a self-help sermon. He can squeeze into a a better, five better ways to improve your finances. And, and I mean, he fits into all of those things. But when it comes to miraculous deliverance, wow, that is, uh, see there's the sea and um, I always react like this when this happens and it just doesn't and I mean I, I can't change my situation but what happens is if we can go if we can go on to, to chapter 14 where uh, what, God moves like God moves he's in front of them for a for a minute and then he moves around behind them and and and, and it's interesting the fire is on their side and the cloud is on the side of their enemies what, what he's doing is he's clouding out their enemies because you've been staring at your enemies for too long. You've been staring at the cycle for you. I mean any 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 idiot can, can, can notice the cycle. You can see the cycle. Fine. That's great. It Doesn't take any perception, but the, you've been staring at the cycle for too long. You've been having your back to the sea because you just imagine there was no other way across it, and you're just trying to figure out how to defeat that. We often try to fight where God tells us to stand. We try to fight what God tells us to to stand for and instead turn around. So the cloud blocks their view of their enemy, of their addiction, of their sin, of their past. The cloud blocks that and the fire illuminates. God like shines a giant flashlight behind them at the sea. This is the problem with, with Egypt. Egypt drags you away from the sea and you never get to focus on the way that God was making for you. And I know they were focused on the sea, because overnight, in the middle of the night, in the dark, God starts parting the water, and dark, waters look really dark at night. And somehow they saw the part. They saw the spread. They saw that there was, wait a minute, there's a, there's a path right there. They, it, it's, and, and this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to turn from our, our cycle, and not just focus on our cycle. He wants us to look at our sea. He wants to give us a new way to go through an old barrier. He wants to part some things for us. He wants to give us a new way to deal with the anxiety, to deal with the stress, to deal with the loss of the job, to deal with the betrayal, to deal with the hurt, to deal with the pain. Instead of, this is not the only way out of here. Behind is not the only way out. God is, is, is working in the wind. God is working in, the, in what seems like a storm. God is using that to, to create a way through the very thing that you thought you couldn't get through. And he's leading you through it. And the reason he's leading you through it is because you and your enemy can't survive it. God's bringing you through something that you and your selfishness cannot survive. God's bringing you through something that your love of God and your love of yourself just cannot live in the same space. God's bringing you through something that your, that your addiction and your heart for God just cannot coexist anymore. It was fine in the wilderness, but he's bringing you through a place that's so narrow and so deep and so difficult that you are going to have to allow those things to get stuck in the mud and you're going to have to keep walking through it. And so he leads them through water which by the way this is the first one of the first prophetic versions of baptism. He leads them through water and all the junk gets stuck. And he takes them out. And they turn around and everything that had been clinging onto them and lording over them is floating in the Red Sea. A cup of deliverance. God is able to bring you out. It's gonna be a process and it's gonna be difficult and you're gonna to have, to, to have to stand and not run because this is what Moses said. He said, stand, he said, do not fear, rather stand uh, uh, and see the salvation of your Lord. I think it's verse 13. If you go back to uh, chapter 14, verse 13, it's Moses' response, don't fear, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord at work for you today, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. Now, why would he have to tell them to stand still? I mean, where are they going to go? They're going to go swimming? No. <laughs> They're going to climb the mountain? No. They're going to walk back to Egypt. They're going to surrender. And he says, wait a minute, before you go back to your, to your cycle, before you go back to, to, to what's normal, would you just stand for just a minute? And in Psalm 114, there's an interesting scripture that was written years and years and years after this story, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Looking back on it, it says that when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, that's another name for Israel, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah, another name for Israel, became his sanctuary, and Israel was his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. So that's my, my, my third and final point. You have to see some separation, you have to see the sea, and then you have to see what the sea sees. <laughs> this is Dr. Seuss sermon right here. Say that five times real fast. You have to see what the sea sees. Look, it says, Judah became his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. In other words the sea was parting not just because of the wind, not just because of a strange natural phenomenon, but the sea saw something that it had to back up for. The sea saw something that it had to make a way for. What did the sea see? (laughs) Well, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Here's what the sea saw. Three million, <laughs> what the seesaw. three million, three million Hebrews standing on the shore. Moses says, guys, don't fear, stand firm. You're going to see the salvation of God. And he's talking to three million people. That's about the size of Chicago. That's like one and a half of all of Austin and the surrounding areas. That's a lot of people. Three million people. And they're scared. They're all wetting their pants. They're all scared to death. And Moses says, You know what? Stand firm and you're going to see the salvation of God. And he, he didn't have a microphone. He shouts this to whoever he, I mean, three million people. And the heads of the families all go and tell, Hey, 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 Uncle, Uncle Joe says that Moses says that so and so, that God's going to do something. So just stand firm. Are you going to stand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to stand. Okay, you're going to. And three, like three million people, nobody moves. This is what the sea could see. The sea could see this group of 3 million people unified, connected together, standing firm on a promise of God. The sea could see, that's a lot of, three million people, and nobody's running away, nobody's deserting, nobody, they're all standing together, and when they stood together, they became, they became the sanctuary. That's what Jesus said, where two or three gathered together in my name, there I am in the middle of them, two or three, but three million people become this massive, the sanctuary is not, it doesn't have stained glass windows. The sanctuary has, has, has bloodstained hands. You know what I mean? It's the saints of God coming together, standing alongside each other, saying, I'll stand with you. Now, 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 Were they scared? Yeah. <laughs> Are you scared? I'm scared. Yeah, I'm scared, but I'm still standing, I'm, I'm kind of weak. I'm kind of thinking about running. But you know what? I'll stand by you. I'll stand with you. Are you, are you. are you standing? And as long as everybody kept standing, everybody kept standing. And when the sea saw the people of God unified, standing on the promises of God, it became the sanctuary of God. And the sea knew that it could not stand against a group of people that were standing together on the promise of God. And the sea backed up. This is why you you cannot experience the cup of deliverance on your own. There's no Lone Ranger Christians out there who are just going to be drinking of the cup of deliverance, and it's going to be awesome. No, the deliverance happens when the sea sees something that it had never seen before. It had never seen the people of God standing together as a unified unit. And they stood together on the promise of God. They, they didn't run. They didn't fight. They just stood there. They just decided to focus on their own sea, on what was in front of them, that maybe God was going to make a way. And meanwhile, I'm going to stand next to you, and I'm going to make sure you stand next to me, and I'm going to make sure your kids stand next to you guys. And that family over there, they need to be standing too. Are you guys standing? Is very, is they, it's, this, it's this massive organism, this life. The sanctuary. They saw a sanctuary, a portable sanctuary through the lives of people. And this is what the cup of deliverance takes. It takes unity. It takes people coming together, standing beside each other on the promises of God, on the character of God, in hope and in faith that God is going to do something that we cannot do on our own. And unity is powerful. If you want to know heaven's commentary on unity, just look at the the Tower of Babel, right? When these people were, were building a tower, they're trying to make it all the way up to heaven. And God himself said in scripture that nothing that they put their hands to do will be impossible for them because they are one, because they are unified. God doesn't say that about anybody else when it comes to humanity, but unity does something, creates something, creates something that is so powerful that seas begin to part. And so I I just wonder if we could be unified here at City Chapel. I wonder if we could stand by. Like, that's the power of unity is you have some people that are facing some massive seas, And you have a lot of people actually that are facing, and you've got a lot of people that are are talking about some Egypt that's coming back into their life. And that's the power of unity is you can say, me too. Oh, you're facing that, me too. You're dealing with with addiction, me too. "You're, you're, 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 You're dealing with anger, me too. You're dealing with disappointment, me too. I'm standing next to you, I'm standing with you. I came from the same place you did. We both came from the mud. We both came from slavery. I know what these chains feel like because I've been there. I didn't read about this in no book. I lived it. And when I stand next to you, I'm not just sympathizing because I'm, I'm a nice person. No, I wasn't born on any higher plane than anybody else. None of us were born in some kind of silver anything. We were all born in the mud and we need God. In fact, Egypt's chasing me down just like it's chasing you down. I'm facing a Red Sea just like you're facing a Red Sea. I need a miracle just like you need a miracle. And I'll stand next to you. I'll stand with you. I'll support you. I'll make sure you stand. If you get weary and tired and start to run, I'll call you out. I'll say, wait a minute, man. Don't, don't. It's not worth it. Egypt ain't worth it. Can you remember? Do you remember when we used to be back there? It ain't worth it. You got to stand with me. This is what unity does. Unity is a cohesive group. and makes three million people with their own ideas and their own different personalities and weirdness. They all stand together and they become a sanctuary and God dwells in the midst of their unity. He dwells amongst the people that are standing together. This is how we deal with our stuff. This is how we get deliverance. You can't, you can't, you can't. God cannot fix what you don't face but you're never gonna face it if you constantly push it down and never talk about it and never open up about it and never reach out to somebody about it. You gotta stand with somebody. Why don't we stretch across the room and just take hands with folks that are, that are nearby. Let's pray for each other. You don't know what they're going through. Yeah, they're right, right across the aisle there. Grab, grab the hand of somebody nearby. You don't know what kind of battle they're facing. What if we just prayed for each other? What if we just stood with each other, held hands with each other? Lord, we come together as as a, as a sanctuary. We want to be the sanctuary of God. We want to be the place where God dwells in a city, that God impacts a city, moves back mountains, that he pushes back oceans because his people come together, that I will be my brother's keeper. I will look out for the person to my left and to my right. I am not in this on my own. Lord, I pray for these people. I pray for this person on my left. I pray for this person on my right. I pray for your power in their life. I pray for freedom in every area of their life. Lord, we just declare life changes coming into their life, that there is no weapon formed against them that can prosper. But with every temptation, you will provide a way of escape. You will make a way where there seems to be no way. In every, every, every situation, you are working all things together for the good of the people in this room. You're coming against what's coming against us. You are blocking what's trying, to, what's trying to sack us and blindside us. You're doing stuff that we're not even aware of, Lord. And so we ask for you to continue to, to move in our lives. We ask for you to part seas, to make a way, to bring dead things to life to heal finances, to heal physical bodies, to remove cancer, to remove tumors, to bring sight back, to blinded eyes, to, 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 bring, to bring relationships back, to restore brokenness, to restore uh, anger and, and bitterness, Lord, to bring back hope and joy and peace and life. We're gonna stand together until we see you do what only you can do. We can We can stand. We can stand together. This is what we can do. We'll do what we can do, and we trust you to do what only you can do.